0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you, because if you're on this podcast or webcast, you probably are a wholesale change agent. My name's Ian Heller. I'll be your co-host today with Distribution Strategy Group. I'd like to introduce my business partner. He's the big dog of big data and the doctor of distribution, Jonathan By P. HD, how are you today, Jonathan? Dilapidated, how are you? You don't, I can't be dilapidated. It's a delightful day. that's well, the wonderful of you to say. <laughs> well, hey, we're delighted to have you with us today. Speaking of uh, delightful, uh, wholesale changes brought to you by Epicor. For nearly 50 years, Epicor has helped distributors stay ahead with flexible, powerful solutions designed to increase sales, streamline operations and improve customer experience. Epicor's industry-leading ERP solutions are built specifically to meet the unique needs of wholesalers with everything needed to grow your sales, profits, and productivity. While, of course, distancing yourself from your competition, Epicor is focused on the things that matter to you, work queues, PO variance queues, kitting, assembly and production orders, advanced inventory forecasting, VMI, and special project pricing. They build their software using industry best practices and 50 years of distribution experience. But Epicor solutions are far more than just tools for pick, pack, and chip. Fully cloud-based with a modern UI, Epicor offers complete, robust e-commerce solutions, powerful BI and analytics tools, modern API and EDI, value-added services, WMS, virtual assistance, and much more. You can learn more about how Epicor helps thousands of wholesalers succeed by visiting epicor.com. Thank you, Epicor, for your sponsorship. You've been doing it all year long. We appreciate it. They're the reason that we can bring this show to you. So, Jonathan, I appear to have caused a little bit of controversy this week or in the last week. That Not would be a first. That wouldn't be a first. I know. my open in my big mouth. But so, look, um, the premise of this series that I just wrote, which is about, which is called, you know, from master distributors to marketplaces, is that the core value add of master distributors has traditionally been a really wide assortment available quickly. Now, master distributors have historically been able to stock more than a regular distributor, any individual distributor, because they cover a wider market, right? So the classic industry that's always had, or one of the industries that's always had master distributor support is office supplies, right? So SP Richards and United Stationers, now Ascendant, Uh, had these massive warehouses. So let's say you're in Chicago and there are 100 office supplies, branches, and stores. Uh, Each one of them only covers a small part of the market, so they can only have a few thousand SKUs on hand, but the master distributor backstops all of them. So by definition, the master wholesaler, master distributor can uh, have a broader range of SKUs than anybody because it's, it's, it's stocking for all of Chicago land, not just for one distributor, right? It's just math.
1: Yeah, so so one variant of that is your your long tail is their head.
0: Yeah, right. So so something you might sell twice a year, the master wholesaler may sell twenty, and yeah. so they can go much farther down the tail of SKUs, right? And so, um, however, one of the insights, at least I hope it was an insight in the article, is that marketplaces have taken that very very broad assortment, which used to be sort of protected behind the distributor or the dealer, and put it front and center. In front of the customer, right? So, it, it, you know, used to be, and this is in all kinds of distribution, and you know, whether you're talking about power transmission or HVAC or whatever, if you had a hard to find item, you would call the distributor and they would look it up for you, right? I mean, in the old days, they had racks and racks of catalogs, and then you had sourcing operations that would call different distributors to try to find what it was that you were looking for. If you know, my company didn't carry it, uh, and then you went to different websites and you had deals with manufacturers and you had, you know, basically this expert sourcing operation that the distributor operated to find stuff that was hard to find, hard to get.
1: And, and they would message on their ability to, to source
0: well, right? That's correct, right, right. If you, you, you know, we can find it for you, right? That's a good point. Now with marketplaces, the number or the frequency of hard to find products has come way down. Because there's very little, as long as you know what you're looking for, you may not always, which is when you need a distributor for sure. But if you know what you're looking for, then you can find it in probably more than one location, maybe many locations, because the world has changed. Not In addition to marketplaces, you've got manufacturers selling direct now. Uh, you can search every distributor's assortment on, you know, you can go to Google and and basically search every distributor's website simultaneously. Bit of an overstatement, but not by much. And so technology has just sort of rendered that notion of a hard-to-find product or and super-wide availability obsolete. And, you know, to me, the, the of all the businesses out there that are disadvantaged by this, master distributors are near the top of the list because they were, you know, sort of that backstop of very broad, superior availability mm-hmm. and quick delivery for many different distributors. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So. That was sort of the, and then I used Berkshire eSupply as an example. And the reason I chose them, um, and I think they're a fine company and I think they're uh, well run, but I will say this they've really doubled down on this notion of helping small uh, and mid sized distributors succeed online, right? I mean, their, their whole, and this is part of their heritage, right? They've always been around these small and mid sized distributors. And so if you go to their homepage, or somewhere on their website, it says, you know, that they are a dynamic organization dedicated supporting independent distributors with the products and services required to compete in the rapidly involved evolving industrial marketplace. The problem is that they what they've really been betting on is that they could help make a bunch of small and mid midsize distributors competitive online, and for a very nominal fee. And I don't I think it used to be up about fifteen thousand dollars. I'm not sure what it is now they would actually deliver a white label site to you it would have your company's name on it. And you could add your SKUs to it, but what it would have, and I think it's now they claim 2 million SKUs, but they would make available through, through your website. And I think the notion was if they could get a whole bunch of these mid-size and small industrial distributors or distributors of various kinds to load up with this Berkshire e-supply built site and Berkshire's 2 million SKUs, they would have many, many, many sellers to, uh, online uh, to drive sales of the products they stocked. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, so here's where we run into trouble because that's not where the market is going. The market is not increasingly because of marketplaces primarily, but this was happening to some degree even before the the rise of marketplaces with the you know the Grangers and MSCs and others of the world. Increasingly, business buyers are going to a smaller number of large websites, marketplaces in particular. Rather than, which is sort of counter to Berkshire strategy of going of building a large number of small websites, um, and so it just looked to me like Berkshire needs a new or an updated strategy. Now, do you agree? Go ahead. You go ahead, please. Well, do you agree that um, that the world's moving towards a relatively a, a smaller number of larger websites? Uh,
1: certainly for simple transactions. So I think let's, let's set the table um, yeah, again ahead. with this idea, which we've discussed in previous episodes, that a lot of our thesis about the role of marketplaces is where simple transactions come into play. And when we say simple transactions, we mean things that can be delivered common carrier. So there's not much on the logistic front and they require minimal to no value add um, either before or after the sale. Right, so there's not a lot of information conveyed before the sale. Um, perhaps somebody knows what they want to buy, and there's definitely not there's definitely not value add after the sale. So, um, so a lot of this is a a lot of this discussion is about what's happening with simple transactions, and with the understanding that the complex transactions um, will remain the province of distributors for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think also just to go one step further with defining a simple transaction. Um, a complex product is normally a complex transaction because you need training or it needs commissioning or installation or configuration. Right. But even simple products can be part of a complex transaction. Right. You know, for example, if it's, if it's being sold into an industrial vending environment, which is by the way, a great service that Berkshire offers, or if it's a, you know, delivered to a Kanban production line, or if it's part of a big project for a construction site and it's part of the material that's in the bid, and the blue, you know, from in the, in the uh, bid submittal, okay, even though it's a simple product, it's part of a complex transaction because the logistics around it or something else is 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 uh, is complex. So it's not just complex products versus simple products; it's complex transactions and relationships versus simple products and relationships. Right? Yeah,
1: really good clarification.
0: And so, so the, the context of
1: what we're discussing today is about sectors and companies that have lots of simple transactions that are therefore more more vulnerable to other digital players whether it's a competitor distributor whether it's a manufacturer whether it's a retailer like home depot or as we're focusing on marketplaces
0: yeah frankly master distributors over the years have focused on simple products and simple transactions that's right
1: now, by the way, we should say to our audience, we love questions, and we've got a number of uh, uh, chat comments queued up here. Should we address those now, Ian? Yeah, go ahead. So the first one is um, being able to search vast selection does not always mean that buyers can find it. Meaning, So if you go to a site that's got 100 million SKUs, um, it's putting that much more effort on the search engine um, to help you get to the right thing. So one could imagine spends one spends more time searching. Uh, particularly if the product, the quality of the product data is lacking in some way. Um, so so the search is much harder with millions of SKUs than hundreds of thousands. Now, a follow-up from that same commenter is your your proviso of if you know what you want is more important than ever in digital differentiation online. Can
0: you can you comment on that, Ian? Yeah, I think, look, this is a friend of the show, right? So in fact, we're going to have him on <laughs> sometime in the near future. Uh, and he's, a, he's an expert. And, and his
1: initials are...
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you, you know, I think, look, it, the reason that you've got a lot of AI tools being developed to recognize product is that sometimes, well, first can be fast and convenient, but also sometimes human beings don't recognize products, right? and Or know what they need. And so I think, you know, just saying I can find anything online does make this assumption, which I think is this point, that you actually know what you're looking for, and sometimes you don't, right? And and, you know, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, I've talked to the uh, Food Equipment Industry Suppliers Association, FISA, a few months ago. And, uh, you know, what they say is when they have people place orders online, they have a very, very high return rate because people don't really know what, they're, what they need. Okay. And they often buy the wrong thing because the products are complex. So I think that's a fair comment. Well, and I think to add
1: to that, if you think about where automation fits in, where AI fits in, that dialogue of helping you figure out what you want, a lot of that is going to remain with humans for a very, very long time. I mean, I know there are selectors and configurators and that's, sure. going, to, that's going to change things somewhat. But that basic figuring out what do I want, what what even what category do I want? Um, having, having grown up in AI, I don't see that one being solved within this decade.
0: And maybe- yeah, well, it's kind of like our view on sales reps, right? Is that you kind of have this this often generational explanation that, you right. know, millennials and generation Z's don't want to see salespeople. And our view is, is that you customers need salespeople when they have complex needs. They don't need them if they can just go online and buy it themselves. That is really not, there may be some correlation to generations, but I mean, you know, frankly, you know, my wife and I were watching a movie the other night and there was this guy in his fifties and he, he was trying to use Travelocity and he called it Travel O-City to his daughter, Right and we're like oh come on i mean this is this isn't 1995 anymore i mean people of all generations are pretty good with the internet now and and the same is true with sales reps i mean if you if you have a complex set of needs i'm building a production line i need to do a plant turnaround i'm trying to set up industrial vending i've got a kanban system i'm doing a big i'm managing purchasing for big for 12 large job sites, you need sales reps to coordinate that stuff uh, from the distributor. It's not about the age of the customer; it's about the complexity of the of the of the, the value proposition. And I think you know that's the, that's the same in this case, right? So anyway, we got a bunch of comments. You might want to keep going through them. You bet.
1: So next comment is Berkshire e-supply seems to be the only e-commerce friendly. Seems to be only e-commerce friendly if the distributor signs up for their private label website products. It leaves out a huge segment of distributors that already have e-com and what, and want to enhance what they have, um, goes on to say, totally agree with your assortment, your assessment of marketplaces vis-a-vis simpler transactions.
0: Okay. Yeah. I don't know the answer to the first one. I'm not close enough to Berkshire's. I I will say if they're demanding that you carry their private label products, you know, rather than just enhancing what you already have, that would be a problem. And I appreciate that they agree. Uh, so keep going.
1: Okay. Next one. Um, if you ask Zoro for price on 10,000 units of an item that they sell on the marketplace, they will not even entertain a lower price for the quantity. For instance,
0: I would say if you're asking for 10,000 units, that's not a that's not a simple transaction, right? Because you're gonna you're gonna that's probably some kind of scheduled buy and negotiated price. So I think that reinforces our point that marketplaces are for simple transactions, not for a 10,000 unit buy. Awesome. Next question.
1: This is a big one, and, and maybe. And maybe we'll be answering over the course of the discussion. You think Varus? you know what, let's, let's hold this one. Okay. Let's hold this one. Cause I think let's get further into the discussion and then we'll come back to this. It's a terrific question. We
0: will get to this though, uh, to the the person who asked it.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's keep going in.
0: Okay. Um, Gosh, we've got a bunch more in here. Um, So, uh, okay. So. You know, so so the Berkshire, you know, so in a nutshell, you've got Berkshire, which is, you know, their core value to us, like all master distributors has been at least somewhat commoditized because having unique access to the assortment and fast availability is, you know, something that you can get in a lot of different places now. Um, they're betting on the e-commerce success of small distributors, and we don't think that's really where e-commerce is growing. I mean, most of the small distributors have this much of their sales coming in from e-commerce. Even if it grew during the pandemic, it probably didn't grow as fast as the pure e-commerce sellers who were up by extraordinary amounts. And so I laid out four ways that Berkshire can grow their business. One is, first of all, broaden the value prop for those distributors they service. You know, De-emphasize the website. And I know they've got e-supply on their name, but if you believe that these small and mid-sized distributors are going to differentiate by adding complexity to their value propositions, then that's not helping them succeed more online. I mean, you can continue to do that. I'm sure they appreciate it. But, you know, for for example, Berkshire's got this industrial vending program. That's fantastic. Can they go and add a whole bunch of other ways to enable value-added services that marketplaces aren't likely to, to offer for these small distributors? Can you aggregate the ability to do um, uh, rentals and repairs and Uh, uh, you know, light assembly and kidding. And, you know, can you do services in these Berkshire massive warehouses that your distributors can go and resell or can you help them set up to do those services? I mean, to me, that's a really fertile ground, right? Um, Secondly, Berkshire can sell on marketplaces. I mean, they're really ideally suited to be a seller on a Zorro or a seller on, um, you know, eBay commercial industrial or, or seller on, Walmart, and by the way, there are thousands and thousands of distributors selling on all those sites and a bunch of others. Third, they can build their own marketplace, right? Where they could just, you know, in that would sort of take their upside-down marketplace model. And I won't go into that other than to say I wrote about it in the article and turn it right side up. What if Berkshire was the seller and all their distributors could sell through Berkshire e-supplies marketplace? And so they became a marketplace outlet. And they, and they jumped on this trend of people wanting these big marketplace sites. What if they were the industrial uh, version of Amazon business and they became a marketplace and it was a place where their distributors could sell and their manufacturers could sell? Because one thing that Amazon business doesn't do well is industrial, right? I mean, they they have an MRO industrial category, but it's very meager compared to like its office supplies and jan SAN offering, right? Which leads me to the fourth idea, which is they could collaborate, collaborate with Veris. And Veris is a new company set up by the, what used to be called uh, Office Depot. And I wanna hold off on that for just a second and ask you what you think or what our audience thinks of these growth ideas for Berkshire.
1: Well, one question I have is there the, the combination or partnership or whatever with, with Veris. I mean, they're clearly different product categories, right? Berkshire is, Berkshire is industrial. Yes. Right. So um, how do you see um, that coming together? If, I mean, if in, in this imaginary world.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, I think, and I go into this in the third article. I think, so So, Varus. so So, what we used to know is Office Depot has broken into two, two publicly held companies, right? right. The retail side of it is still called Office Depot, right? And they compete with the Staples retail stores which is not entirely retail because a lot of small office home office purchases, your customers go there. That may even be the majority of their business. I don't know. Then they have a new company called the ODP corporation. All right. So completely different companies now office Depot and the ODP corporation. The ODP corporation is the old uh, corporate stationer business, the delivery business, right? So this is the, the trucks pull up to the commercial office building and the guy rolls in with a, a, dolly full of copy paper and ink and break room supplies and sand products right so that business is still out there amazon has taken a lot of it which is why staples is much smaller reportedly than it used to be and so is office depot um but there is still a lot of that b2b and they have established a brand new division called varis which is at govaris.com g-o-v-a-r-i-s dot com and what they've done is they've hired like a dozen former Amazon business executives, Prentice Wilson, who was the VP general manager for Amazon business who launched it. Uh, their CTO and 10 other executives. And I, I wrote an article about that uh, a, uh, a few months ago. And so, which is really smart. Okay. So office Depot has split into two business units. ODP corporation has hired basically the former Amazon business team. And they're going to, I don't know for sure, apparently build a, competitor to Amazon business. Here's the the danger there, Jonathan. It's very, very hard to compete with Amazon on anything, especially when they have momentum. And yet, and we've seen this before, we've talked about it, the most common weakness we see in executives, at least I see in executives who change companies is they think what made them successful in their last company will make them success, make them successful in their new job, right? So we Whatever I did that made me successful in my old job, that's what I'm going to do in my new job. And, and a lot of times, that's just not the case. And my personal belief is that if Veris just tries to build an alternative to Amazon business, same markets, same products, et cetera, there will always be lesser than because it's impossible to close the gap on what's probably a $30, dollars billion company at this point. We're operated by the world's best marketplace company. What if it's a different model? What if it's not competitive? That's my, that's my, what I'm suggesting. You asked why industrial, this is why industrial because Amazon is very, very weak in industrial.
1: But I mean, what if it's not first party and third party? That's what I'm saying. What if it's purely a marketplace?
0: Yeah. I mean, majority of Amazon sales are already third party now. Okay. And so, you know, I think, I I don't see how that's an advantage. um, I think you know, I mean, people are suppliers are reconciled to the fact that Amazon's so big now. Very, very few companies other than Nike refuse to sell to, to Amazon.
1: But again, I mean, if it's a more attractive model from the I don't have to worry that they're, you know, using my data for nefarious means. Uh, it's more attractive um, terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've heard that it is challenging. I mean, it, it, Amazon is demanding of the third party sellers. Right. Yeah and so what if you came up with uh, similar products but a more favorable model for third party seller
0: yeah it's great but you got to get the customers there it's not just getting the suppliers there and customers okay. are customers are wedded i mean what did you say before the call you got you go to amazon every day right it's just I convenient. Do. yeah right yeah and and even when you think about going somewhere else i mean i do this too I need like three or four things that are unrelated. I try to buy it on walmart.com because I want to help that poor little company compete. Yeah. Or I'll, you know... That's so, so, so
1: charitable you, IBM.
0: I know. Well, I worry about those guys at Walmart. It know. is the season, right? Uh, yeah, right. It's, right. It is the season to be charitable in Walmart. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, but I often come back to Amazon because, you know, you get these three... You know, I want to... I bought a set of micrometers, right? For my, my shop and my garage. Yeah. And I needed toner for my computer i wanted this protein powder i mean where else are you going to go to get them all the next day
1: there are well-formed
0: furrows in my neural circuitry to my hand to my mouse to amazon i mean it's i know just, right right so yeah. how are you going to get them but in, in industrial mro that's not the case yet because right. that they don't they don't own that market so my point is that various should do something outside the box or at least consider it and what a great marriage, Varus and Berkshire eSupply. You've got two people. You need you need Berkshire who needs a big outlet for their products because they don't sell direct. Well, they, they could, but they don't. You've got Varus who needs to differentiate from Amazon Business. Mm-hmm. Why not say, you know what? We're going to be the industrial version. I hear it. I mean, I'm not saying it would succeed, but at least it's differentiated, and it might. So we got a bunch more comments. You want to start walking through them again?
1: Let's take the one that we uh, okay. had deferred. So do you think Varus? can be successful combining P2P and B2B marketplaces versus bigger players like Amazon or SCP Ariba, Coupa, et cetera?
0: I think that, if, like I said, if Verus, if Verus tries to build just an ordinary alternative to existing marketplaces with no differentiation, they will have a very hard time succeeding. And if you look at these marketplaces, with the exception of Zorro, which has quite a bit of, of industrial product, For the most part, they're all commercial, and so no, I don't think they will. I mean, you never know, right? I mean, look that if I help build Amazon business, I'm going to have a lot of confidence, right? You have to be careful that doesn't border, that doesn't transform into hubris, and because you you still need a better strategy, you still need to differentiate.
1: I wonder if part of the differentiation, or part of the differentiation, is you are actually better at industrial. So Amazon touts. 300 million SKUs, that's like one for every 18 people, 19 people on the planet or something. Probably there's a lot of duplication in there. But I wonder if, if Varus is great. We're going to do industrial. Mm-hmm. And we're going to crush it even more than Amazon in terms of assortment. Sure. So like if you boil down those 300 million SKUs to the actual number of unique SKUs, I don't think it's 300 million SKUs. Whatever. But whatever the number is. But they got a lot of SKUs. I can't debate that. But could, could Varus do a better job at industrial? effectively a niche could they do it could they do a better job in the niche of industrial than amazon and become the go-to place
0: if they partnered with berkshire e-supply who is by definition an industrial seller okay the two of them because if they partner so so let's say that that you know berkshire e-supply says they've got two million SKUs. now i wonder what the if you look at all the suppliers to berkshire eSupply and said, okay, not only are we going to stock some of your products, we want you to ship direct on the rest. It's probably what, 4 million SKUs, 6 million SKUs? Okay. So if you did that, if, if Vera said, look, we'll handle the whole marketplace build, the, the we know how to build the software. And then, you know, in two months, we're going to launch with 5 million industrial SKUs. We got the
1: back end, you got the front end.
0: Exactly. You would immediately have a... I don't know if it's a killer assortment, but it would be an amazing assortment of, of products for the industrial market.
1: Okay, let's, um, let's move on to another question. By the way, audience, thank you for questions. We love them. So uh, we have a comment, sales engineers' knowledge is still key due to the big amount of products, multiple brands offering a faster time to market. But how the distributors should develop these skills in an efficient way and keep with the manufacturers releasing new products? I guess that's a question, right? How should how should the how should the distributor develop these skills in an efficient way?
0: Yeah, I think um, you know this actually rela- relates to another question that came earlier a comment, which is good digital discovery for a simple product frees up your best salespeople to serve more of your customers um, and solve their hardest problems. Um, and I, and I think look, these two people who are going back and forth in the comments are sort of reinforcing each other's opinions, and they're right. Look, if, I mean. I believe, and I think you would agree, that your customer-facing people need more technical skills than ever, right? Yes, and, so, and we hear
1: that routinely from from manufacturers, right?
0: Right. They you're, you, they don't need the distributors to sell their the, the simple transactions. And the, the distributors want to hang on to them, right? And they and they should they should there are different different definitely ways to go about that. But what marketplaces cannot do is offer in person advice. You can't even call Amazon a place an order. You can't call them. You've got to buy online. You can't ask a question about a product. The more distributors uh, offer value that way because their customer-facing people are super well-trained, right? They really understand the products. They're very technical. Then the more value you can add to customers, generally speaking, and I think uh, what someone else is commenting is, well, and that kind of frees up your salespeople. If you do that, if, if you have, if you make it easy to buy simple stuff from a distributor, then you're not wasting the sales reps orders with them writing down stuff that the distributor that the customer could have bought online. I think that's a fair observation.
1: Yeah. And I think there's been this kind of pejorative joke about some of the large MRO players that when mm-hmm. you call them, they answer the phone. They say what part number.
0: Yeah. Right. Sure.
1: Right. And so, so this is going beyond that. And to the, to the questioner's point, indeed the sales engineer and or the sales rep's expertise can be key.
0: Right. Right. Um Okay. So uh, let's see, someone's commenting on the growth ideas. Uh, so these are the four growth ideas I presented. Yep. So uh, number one, let me bring up both screens here. Um, they're saying broaden the value proposition industrial distributors. They're saying they like it, but it's hard. Two is on marketplaces. Two is tough because then they're competing with their distribution customers. I completely agree with that, but I got to tell you, everybody's dealing with this channel conflict right now and what we're seeing is most people's worst fears about channel conflict don't materialize when they actually do it uh now that's manufacturers who are competing with their own distributors i think you know you you've got to leave some room for margin in for the, for your resellers but for the most part we're not seeing like the channel conflict uh, uh materialize like people are fearing do you do you agree with that jonathan
1: you know it's it's a 1 degree at a time kind of thing um, yeah. i mean if we if we look over a 5 year period i think we will see see more channel conflict. And again, it depends on the complexity of the transaction. So the, the, the manufacturers who are actually selling online now, direct to end customers, uh, the ones that are doing it, that have adopted it, the ones that are getting revenue, guess what? They look more like B2C products, um, meaning very, very simple transactions. So I think, I think, again, the answer is it depends on the complexity of the product and the transaction.
0: Okay. Um, um, and then the fourth one, see, am I on the fourth one now, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh no, build a marketplace. That's third. Yeah. That's expensive. And it's, you know, going to be very hard to, um, uh, make that work. I agree with that. I mean, it's expensive and there's no sure sign of success, but that is where the market is going. Right. And then no opinion on the, on the cooperation with, uh, with, uh, Veris, you know, so, you know, I, I look I, I know I, I, I've been talking about how distributors need to build their own massive alternative to Amazon business. So let me throw one more out there, Jonathan. Let me throw one more out there. This is the the high risk home run. What if all these companies collaborated? Okay? So I'll give an example. For years, Staples tried to buy office Depot. They're still trying to do it, or at least well, recently they were. And it got shot down by the FTC all right? Well, there's a new FTC now, right the chair of the FTC is now Lena Khan, who has been a harsh critic of Amazon wrote like a 93 page article about redefining uh, what a monopoly is uh, re- redefining antitrust in the age of Amazon I don't I think you get a much friendlier perception about those two companies working together from the FTC than you historically would what if what if those two companies worked with Berkshire esupply they worked with Varus they worked with, ranger they worked with, I don't know, Ferguson, uh, uh, Motion Industries, and built literally a competitor to Amazon business. Because look, the good thing about competing with Amazon is you have a lot of company because they have a lot of enemies, right? Because if they, when they consolidate industries, who loses? Not, not just the companies in the industry, software companies, transportation companies. And you could probably... Put together a consortium that would not only include a whole bunch of distributors with broad assortments to to present the product, but you could also get UPS and FedEx involved because it's not to their it's not to their interest if Amazon keeps scooping up market share. You could probably get software companies involved. I mean, if you're an ERP maker and Amazon's business division wants to collapsing tens of thousands of distributors, your market gets smaller. So there's a whole consortium of people that could build a competitive B two B website. Or, or marketplace in my view. And I know, look, I know the odds are long on that, but there's a lot of logic behind it. So, okay. Um Gosh, I, I can hardly, I don't know that we've, when we've ever had a more uh active uh set of questions. Someone wants me to repeat the four growth alternatives for Berkshire eSupply. Um, and uh, so I'm going to do that real quick. This is in the Q&A, not the chat, Jonathan. Right, I saw that. Okay, so... Um, I'm just going to throw up a slide, but go ahead. Okay, I, I'm 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 broadcasting a Word document right now, so I'll read it for you, podcast listeners. But the four all growth alternatives for Berkshire to me are: they can broaden their value proposition for industrial distributors. So instead of focusing so much on the e-commerce site, support everything that those distributors do, including really complex stuff. So add services, uh, be very aggressive about supporting the sales that they, you know that they do to support job sites and will calls and deliveries and stuff that's not coming into through the, through the, to the website, but I'm really intrigued by services. Um, they can sell dire- directly on marketplaces. I mean, they're well positioned to sell on, I don't know, Zorro or uh, Veris or eBay or Walmart or whatever. They can sell directly on those marketplaces. They can build their own marketplace. And what I like about this is there really isn't an industrial marketplace right now, other than Zoro. And I think, you know, Zora's going to be Zora's a fantastic company. They're very well operated, um, but I think their emphasis is a little different. It's more of a blend of commercial, it's less hardcore industrial. So they could, they and, and, and there's really nobody out there that really has a Berkshire eSupply kind of assortment that could, they could build their own marketplace with. And this would give their distributors an outlet to sell on because the world's moving towards a small number of large marketplaces, which is what this could be, rather than. A large number of small marketplaces like the current Berkshire model, um, or they can collaborate with Varus and they could build a marketplace together to differentiate from Amazon Business with more of an industrial focus. So those are the those are the four that I put up.
1: Yes. Yeah, so w- would this be a fair statement? Um, the the Zoro is more industrial supply, and the the East berkshire supply is more industrial machinery and
0: equipment. Yeah. I mean Zoro's Zoro's got sort of a reflection of the Granger assortment. I mean, they, they sell much, much more than Granger and they really operate those two businesses separately. Uh, but it sort of spans the, you know, everything from janitorial to packaging and storage and commercial and 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 some industrial, but they don't have like a lot of cutting tools and abrasives, at least then, you know, I'm assuming if they're like Granger. And so- but By the
1: way, Ian, I just asked my SIC question there. I hope you didn't, I, I don't know if you caught that.
0: I I was teasing Jonathan last week because we had a guest on uh, and Jonathan said, no, wait, you're technically an electrical distributor. And and this gentleman, I guess, technically is his company is, but he doesn't think of himself that way. And I said, well, this is your data focus. You've got to classify everything. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: I'm a very excellent driver. (laughs) a Very excellent SIC question asker.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, anyway we're I, f- I forgot where i was you take it away we got a whole bunch more comments do you want to you want to uh read yeah them?
1: let's keep marching down them there's one way Varus could compete around geographic territory control i believe that amazon business still does not support territory controls in other words i'm a distributor and i only want to sell within zip codes in the territories i'm allowed to sell in my supplier contracts in other words amazon does not help me enforce if i'm a manufacturer it doesn't help me enforce territories and, and, um, areas of primary responsibility.
0: Right. Well, and also I have to ship all over the country, even if that's hard for me.
1: Right. So if, if Varus enabled that, it would make them more attractive to more SMB distributors who are more regional. Also, they could create a better user experience than Amazon. Amazon business is a familiar user experience, but that doesn't make it a good
0: one. Yeah. Well, I think you could, you could certainly, I mean, Amazon is not an omni-channel seller, right? I mean, you, you, you hear about how powerful it is and important it is to be omnichannel, but the biggest player out there is not. They're one channel, right? So they don't have local branches. I mean, their stores are too small and, and stock too little and are too scattered to consider them branches. Um, they don't have phone service. So I think the value of creating a separate marketplace is you could actually make an omnichannel if you wanted to. You could You could you know, go to the marketplace and schedule a will call at a local branch and still maintain your sales rep relationship, which you can't do if you're selling through Amazon business. So I think these are, these are good points. And for a lot of these distributors, I don't want to sell on Amazon business because I think he's right. I think you have to offer the product to everybody. You can't just say, well, you know, this is a very heavy item. So I'm only going to ship in the Southwest where I operate. I'm not going to ship to Maine. Uh, I think if you sell it on Amazon business, now I'm not sure, but I think you have to ship wherever the customer is. Someone else is saying flexibility is key. Amazon is not flexible, neither is Zoro or Porsche or any of the big guys. There's a ton of room for smaller distributors with geographic reach, good data and systems and access to a huge assortment who can be flexible too. I, I think we would classify being flexible as part of the complexity of an offering, right? If you're able to if you're able to be flexible, then you're able to handle complex demands. You're it's the opposite of standardization, right? Right. Um, we have another
1: question on, would you do as staples? And I'm not sure exactly what that means or, or overall, or as two parts retail and then direct business, I guess oh, this got is, it. as it pertains to the various work uh, combination.
0: Okay. What would you do as staples? So if I was running staples. Oh, I see. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I don't understand. And, and I, I'm not, look, we're, we're in the wholesale distribution business. We're not, re, we're not retail experts. Um, So the way I understand what happened is, I don't know, maybe a year ago, Staples again offered to buy Office Depot, and Office Depot said no. However, you can buy the retail stores if you want. We want to keep all the B two B stuff. I and mean, that's when they went out and hired Prentice Wilson and the Amazon Business team, right? And Staples, as I understand it, has not yet they have not yet agreed to buy the retail stores, but they generally said, okay, we are interested in buying the retail stores. I don't understand why anybody want, would want to buy a bunch of retail office supply stores. Now, they may have plans to turn them into service centers or add value in some other way, but to me, the products themselves that office supplies companies sells those 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 are going to marketplaces. And clearly, you know, and we we've looked at like what happened to Staples sales as the Amazon Business grew, and you know, a lot of people criticize Staples' execution of some things. I think they just had a strategic problem. What happened to them vis-a-vis Amazon businesses, what happened to Kodak vis-a-vis the iPhone, right? And digital cameras. They just got got superseded by new technology. And so I don't understand why Staples would want to buy retail stores. Maybe there's a reason. If I was running Staples, I would go after the B2B business like Office Depot is doing. I think you know, and, and I would look at a collaboration, because like I said, I, my guess is the FTC would be friendlier to them now. I would look at, you know, building a marketplace, I you know, really the same advice I give to Veris, I would give to Staples. But unless you can find some way to generate new value in a, in a, a value proposition in those stores, that's not going to continue to erode share to marketplaces, I wouldn't continue to double down in retail stores for office products or related items. That is- and,
1: Ian, and Ian, is that based... So when we talked about distributor branches, mm-hmm. we viewed that as a place to impart expertise and value add. And is it your view that what happens in the Staples stores, there's less propensity for that?
0: Yes. Yes. And I, and I know Staples has a B2B uh, uh, division, but I think that that office supplies, generally speaking, are not that complex, I think. It's not like, like if you go into a motion industries branch, right? I mean, they can rewind your motor and rebuild things and they've got in-depth expertise and they can help you design stuff and find highly technical solutions, for highly technical products. Same is true of Blackhawk, Industrial Supply. Same is true of Radner and a bunch of others, right? I mean, these are companies that have very technical products for customers facing very technical problems. That's just not office supplies. It's just not. And so- I just think it's easier to get that share if you're a marketplace than it is to come after hardcore industrial products. So, yeah. Okay. Do we have any other questions? I think we're about done, aren't we? About done. Yeah. So, okay, good. Well, look, we've had a great attendance today. We would invite all of you. You can communicate with us. We, we are not an investigative journalist organization. We will keep confidences. Um, so if you would like to talk to us, please feel free to reach out. We enjoy those conversations. Uh, thanks so much. This is probably as, as interactive an audience as we've had in a long time, Jonathan. So it was great to, to have you all here. We really appreciate it. Uh, the uh, uh, We will be back. Our next episode is January 12th, Innovating the Physical Store. So this is related to what we talked about today with special guest Mark Dancer, who's an NAW fellow, a brilliant guy. He literally wrote the book on facing the forces of change for the NAW. Uh, that's the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. Uh, That episode will be brought to you by Epicor. As usual, we have a new sponsor, Cavallo, who will be uh, working with us for the next several episodes. So thank you, Cavallo, for your support. Please don't miss that episode. On February 2nd, we have the first part, part one of the 2022 State of E-Commerce brought to you by Optimizely. You can see all of our events and see our content on distributionstrategy.com. You can look at the events under the cleverly named tab called Events. You can reach us down by, by our contact information below. Jonathan, as always, it's been great working with you, my friend. Mutual, Ian Heller. Great. All right. Hey, thanks, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, a grand start to your new year. We'll see you in January. Thanks very much, and goodbye.